Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is the ENA Podcast, and I am Dan Campana, the Senior Manager for PR and Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming back our podcast listening audience. And whether you're new to the ENA Podcast or you've been listening to us from the beginning, we thank you for supporting what uh, has become a, a fun an intriguing platform for us to uh, share some clinical information, but also share some great uh, member stories and really just some, from a human nature standpoint, some really important things that uh, are happening and coming out of the EDs around the country. And it's even more special when it involves a member of ours. So today I'd like to uh, to welcome Martha Phillips to the ENA podcast. So Martha, uh, welcome and good afternoon to you. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, first off, why don't you just give us a little bit of your background um, as an emergency nurse, where you've worked, you know, really a little bit of, of a background on your career. Yeah, so I, I've been a nurse for 14 years. Um, I got started in public health with U.S. Public Health Service. Um, I moved to the private sector, did med surge, and then about three years into my career, I transitioned into the emergency department and I have never left. Um, I've been an ED nurse for 11 years. Um, and I've worked uh, many years as a traveling nurse. Um, I've worked level one trauma all the way to critical access hospitals. Um, and then I finally settled down about four years ago in the Pacific Northwest, and I've been in a level two um, ED ever since. So the reason why I wanted to to have you on the podcast is a story I came across in the Washington Post that come straight from the ED that you work in and the things that you've seen. And so one of the roles that you have is as a SANE, correct? That's right. Yeah. And um, so obviously the, there's a lot of, of stories recently about the shortage of SANEs and really the importance mm -hmm. it is to everything from uh, making sure that this pa a patient who needs the services of a SANE is being you know treated with care and dignity and, you know, how that transitions all the way down through, evidence collection and the legal process, but yeah. you observed something, you know, from your experiences that really kind of set you onto a different path and really made you a bit of a social media viral star. <laughs> um, um, what, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your background as a, as a sane, but really how you got to this point where you created this new movement that is really about providing dignity to, uh, to sexual assault victims and, and the patients that, uh, that you've seen. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I knew sexual assault nurse examiners existed before, um, particularly when I was a traveling nurse. I never really had the the opportunity to even consider that as a, as a possible career trajectory for me. Um, but when I came out here, I, I moved into this emergency department and into this hospital where there was a, an active um, forensic nursing program. Um, and a really well-supported and well-run program that was really dedicated to taking care of this community. And the, the, the woman who is the coordinator of our program, her name is Stephanie Walgren. Um, she and I had been friends, actually. We'd been friends for a couple of years. We would finish the night shift together. We'd get off work at five in the morning and we'd drive down to Denny's and we'd sit at Denny's and have breakfast and we'd talk. And she would sort of talk about her work as a saint, how important it was to her and how much it meant to her. Um, and it was just this very sort of subtle kind of like bringing awareness that this could be an option for me to me. Um, and 
and you know, within a within a year of of starting at the hospital, I was down in Seattle getting trained. Um, so I um, I did my training as a same for adult and adolescent patients. Um, and I did that work for about a year and a half, and then I trained into pediatrics. So I'm also a trained pediatric sexual assault nurse examiner. And um, did a lot of cases, did a lot of work, relatively speaking, for the size of our community and the size of our emergency department. And have loved this work and, and do it with a great amount of passion and um, help out at a critical access hospital that's part of our, our hospital system in the next county south. And, and our team continues to grow. And we... Stephanie and myself and another team member were in a car in December. We were coming back from a charity breakfast and we were talking about our program. We we're talking about the work we do because that's what we always do. Um, and the, our, our other team member mentioned that she had recently taken care of a patient, um, a survivor of sexual assault, wherein because of the nature of her assault, we'd had to take most of her clothing. Um, her clothing would work as evidence where the state crime lab would, would look for touch DNA. And when we'd taken her clothing, we'd taken her bra. And um, we didn't have a bra to give her to replace it. Um, we had some donated underwear. We had some clothing we could give her, but we didn't have a bra. And she was a bigger chested woman. And she left the emergency department with her arms wrapped around her chest. She was so embarrassed. Um, and she was so ashamed of having to walk out of this hospital. And it's a long walk from our room to the main entrance of the hospital. Um, so embarrassed to have to do that without a bra. She felt insecure and, and ashamed of herself. And, and we hated that. We hated that. Um, we just, it made us so unhappy that, that she had had that experience while under our care. And then there was this moment of silence in the car and, uh, and we kind of looked at each other and I looked at them and I said, I said, forget it. I said, I'm, I'm going to Kohl's. I'm buying some bras. I said, I'm going this afternoon. I'm going to take care of this right now. This will never happen again. And the other team member was like, yup, me too. And we all got home and had lunch and I got in the car and I went out to Kohl's and bought a whole bunch of underwear and bought a whole bunch of bras. And, um, and I was so like amped up on this. Like, like I, I drove straight back to the hospital. Like I, I don't want a, a survivor to come in this afternoon and not have this bra now that I have this bra. And I go shooting straight back to the hospital. I go straight up to our exam room and I open up the exam room and, and I'm so, I'm just so, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry. You know, I want to, I, I, I can't believe that we didn't think of this sooner. Yeah. You know, we had this penny drop moment, like, why didn't we do this three years ago? Why didn't we do this a year ago? Why are we only doing this now? And so I put all the underwear on the bed. I put all the bras on the bed. I put all the underwear on the bed and I took a picture of it. And, uh, and then I put them into our supply in the room so we could have easy access to them. I went home. This is like 10 o'clock at night. And I sit down and I just vent my spleen on Facebook, which is always sort of a sketchy proposition. <laughs> like this could go one way or the other. True, um, true. and, and, and so I, you know, I put the picture up and I say on Facebook, I say, you know, this is the underwear that no woman wants to wear. This is the underwear that nobody wants to wear because this is the underwear that I give to you if you've been raped and I have to take your clothes away. And, and talked about that and talked about why we do that and what that's like for survivors of sexual assault to have gone through this appallingly horrific assault and then to be brave enough to seek care in an emergency department 
and then be re-traumatized again by the nature of the work that we have to do. And, uh, and, and it was a declaration to myself, to my team, to my friends, to my hospital community, and to my community at large that I would never, 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 never let another survivor walk out of my emergency department without her underwear on. And, uh, and I hit the post button. So what did and, you expect? What, what, what did you reasonably sort of expect after you hit post? Because like you said, this could go one way or another, but yeah. <laughs> did, did you, did you have any confidence that, um, you know, this was going to resonate or was it more cathartic for you? Cause I, I believe I've seen that you, you do have a bit of a writing background. So writers yeah. are, writers yeah. do things for their own reasons at times and yeah. you don't know what to expect when the audience absorbs it. But yeah. what did you reasonably think that was going to come from, from that post, you know, was it just good to get it off your, off your, off your soul to say, yeah. I'm not going to let this happen. It, it was, it was, I, I, I think I kind of had an idea that, you know, I, I had a feeling that it would resonate, um, certainly within sort of my Facebook, like friend group. Um, I made the post public and, uh, you know, I, I have been writing for a long time. You know, I, 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 I tell other ED nurses and my friends, I write so that I don't have to drink. And, uh, that was, you know, I, I, so I, I knew that my friends would be on board. My friends know how passionate I am about this work. Um, you know, my, my sort of Facebook community knows how absolutely passionate I am about this work. And so I figured there would be a couple of shares and I figured there are a couple of people there, there might even be a couple of people who are just like, Hey, I'll donate underwear and maybe we could get a couple more pairs and that would be rad. And, uh, but you didn't, didn't expect 104,000 shares. Sure didn't. <laughs> Not even. I, I was blown away by how fast that post um, made it out into the world. Um, you know, I think, you know, within, within a day, you know, I had maybe 100 shares, which, which for me was just like mind blowing. Like, wow, so many people shared this. Within a week, I had 3,000 shares. Um, and then, you know, by early January, I was up to just, just off of my Facebook page alone. We, we were at, we were at over a hundred thousand shares. So um, it's one I'm, thing to get that, you know, we know for, for all the things that are bad about social media, this is an obviously a positive thing that people are sharing and it's really yeah. kind of spreading that message. But um, knowing that this was happening on that larger scale, what were you seeing within your sphere, within your facility, within the people that you work with? Because mm -hmm. obviously they're now aware that this is happening as well. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about how things started to snowball for you, where you work now that you've kind of begun this, you know, this personal mission, you know, this mission that you guys talked about, but yeah. um, you know, that you took that first step in your play, in your, your facility and, and what happens next, you know, within that facility now that this is growing on that viral stage as well. Yeah. So the response from, um, from my coworkers was instant instantaneous. I mean, within minutes I had comments on that, on that Facebook post from, Coworkers from other nurses in the emergency department, from nursing assistants and techs in the emergency department, being like, "I'm going shopping tomorrow. Where, when you work next, I'll meet you with the underwear. Like, what, what else do you need? Do you need, do you need bras? What size do you need? Do you need socks? What size do you need? You know, uh, instantaneously from my from my department, there was a response of, "I didn't know you guys didn't have this, and I'm going shopping tomorrow." And then it moved out of the ED sphere into the general nursing population of the hospital. You know, friends that I have in critical care float on telemetry, on ICU, um, in cardiac recovery unit, in all these different 
units in the hospital responded, we didn't know this was happening. We know you did this work. We didn't know you needed this. We're going shopping. What do you need? Um, the, the response from, from nursing within my hospital was, I mean, just was, was incredible and, and was so humbling because they, they didn't, they didn't even think twice. You could see they didn't even think twice. They read it and they said, what do you need? I will bring it. Um, and I think, and I think that that's really telling of who nurses are in general, you know, that, that when, when we have the opportunity to see a deficit, when we have the opportunity to recognize that something is missing and we can fix it, we step up right away. And that's exactly what I saw from my hospital community. And um, from, from what I understand that that response has got you now stocked for, <laughs> yes. for a while. We, yeah, it does. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> it won't stop. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. We had a, it, it went beyond the hospital community. Obviously it went into the community into to friends and connections I have uh, in, in my County up here uh, and beyond. We had responses from a local college of nursing, um, which was incredible. Um, and a couple other people out in the community. And, uh, so yeah, so we're, we're trying actually to find storage. So we have bras like tucked like behind our printer and like a little <laughs> box of underwear, like shoved under the desk and like we have this teeny office and we have piles of boxes of bras on top of the bookshelf. And, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. So um, when, when you see that response, um, you know, it's one thing to go from idea and to start to act on your own, but then when you get this sort of momentum build up, mm -hmm. what do you, what have you done? And, 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 and certainly, you know, um, you know, I'm sure this has not been a one person show, but what, you know, what have you and, and others who have become a part of this, how have you decided on, or, or what really has been the perpetuation of this now? So what's next? How do you continue to make sure that this is not just an isolation in yeah. happening in isolation because you know this problem exists elsewhere oh yeah how have you how have you kind of used this platform and this opportunity to really grow this movement so that um you know these moments of indignities aren't happening elsewhere how, what, what, what really are those next steps that you've seen now that this powerful moment has happened over these last few few months i i think the most important thing that we can do um, to keep this going is, um, is to keep talking about it, is to not, not hesitate to talk about in a way that, that is respectful and protective of our patients about what we see and what we go through and what our patients go through. Um, and I think, I, because I think that there is a significant lack of awareness about what it really is like to work in an emergency department what it really is like to be an ED nurse, what it really is like to be a sexual assault nurse examiner, um, and, and what the unique challenges are of those roles and how we can be supported from within and also from without. And the, as this post gained momentum and traction and started growing and growing and growing and growing, the, the number one response I got from um, from people either through comments um, as they shared it or comments on other people's shares, or it, it hit a couple of repost platforms like Upworthy and Love What Matters. The number one comment that I read was, I didn't know this was a thing. I had no idea that, that survivors of sexual assault had their clothes taken from them and had to be discharged without their clothing. And then the number two response was from survivors. And their response was, this happened to me. 
This mm. is my story. I was sent out of an emergency department in hospital scrubs and no bra. I was sent out of an emergency department in the paper scrubs that they give to patients who, who are at risk for self-harm. Mm. You know, I was sent out of a hospital on a rainy night in a hospital gown with no shoes. And I think that it's the combination of creating awareness by using our voices as nurses, as emergency department nurses, as sexual assault nurse examiners to talk about what we see and what we need and the challenges we face. And then having that, that after that sort of aftermath, that push behind it of survivors chiming in and saying, yeah, this is what we go through to, to validate this need. And then people realize that there's a concrete action that they can take. And, um, I think, I think that the way that we keep this going is that we just continue to create awareness of the work that we do and the things that we see and the things that we need. And that, that's already self-perpetuating. There are, there are people who have created nonprofits in the wake of this to supply underwear to local hospitals. Um, there are women's um, charitable organizations. There are, there are charitable groups. There are church groups. Um, there's fraternity and sorority groups who have shared it within their community saying, we're going to do this. This is our next fundraiser. This is our next clothing drive. Um, who do I talk to? You know, when you get the word out, people who work, who want to work within community to support the needs of that community, especially to vulnerable populations, will carry the message forward. We're doing this every year. This is going to be a part of our annual fundraiser. Um, we're going to make this happen. Um, it is it is using our voices and our experience to let people know what we see and what we do. That's so important. I, I don't get the sense that you're you're sitting back in, in any sort of complacent fashion saying, well, okay, well, I've done everything I can with this. <laughs> I feel as though that there's a lot of motivation and next steps that um, you personally and, and, and you're within your sphere that, you know, you're looking ahead. So does that involve working more closely with some of those community service partners that exist in your area? Is it looking to more formalize some, some movements and really helping others do just exactly what you talked about, make this a regular thought process and bringing together both survivors, but also the ED nurses to kind of help continue to bridge this gap that existed? You know, I think to, to be completely honest, we are so fortunate up here um, in my in my county, in my community. We have a hospital that supports us. Um, and there are there are hospitals in this country and emergency department um, leaders in this country who actively do not support forensic nursing programs. They will take steps to make it difficult for nurses who want to help others to, to engage in these activities. They will make staffing difficult. They will make pay difficult. And we don't have that situation. We, we have an incredibly supportive hospital. We have incredibly supportive ED management. And we have an incredibly supportive um, staff of coworkers in our ED. The ED nurses who themselves know that the, the, the path of being a forensic nurse is not the right path for them will step up. They will work without a break. They will take on extra patient assignments. They will shift their staffing to get us off the floor to take care of a survivor if a survivor shows up at our facility. Um, and and that's, that's incredible. The, the community partner, the advocacy group that we work with here in Whatcom County, which is Domestic Violence Sexual Assault Services of Whatcom County, is incredible. They're an amazing organization. So I, I feel like, I feel like actually our program is really well situated, but um, it, what I what I feel like I've unintentionally created for myself is 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 a is a small platform where I can continue to talk, where I can continue to share my experience, insofar as it's relatable globally, where it's relatable to other 
sexual assault nurse examiners, other ED nurses, other people who, who might be encountering this in their emergency departments. And through the ability to continue to speak about it, um, I'm encouraging others to pass it forward, to look at their own community, to look at their own emergency departments, um, to look at their own forensic nursing programs or lack thereof, to, to have other sexual assault nurse examiners say, you know, I've got a voice as well. And I think SANE nurses are hesitant to use it. I think some ED nurses are hesitant to use it because we feel very constricted in a way by things like HIPAA, by wanting to respect the privacy of our patients. If you live in a small community and you have a, you know, a terrible trauma come in, you can't really be like, well, I took care of a horrible trauma today because everybody doesn't go to the local, the local like scanner feed and be like, oh yeah, you know, that was Joe, my neighbor. You know, you right, can't, right. You got to be really careful about how you parse it. But the important thing to think about is that there are elements of these experiences that are global, that are relatable. And when you're able to pull the element that people can relate to without disclosing um, specific information about the people who are, are suffering from this, that's very powerful. Um, and that's very moving. And it's through continuing to use the voice on whatever platforms I'm offered, you know, at whatever op opportunities, you know, sort of show up at my doorstep. Um, to, 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 to move this forward, to encourage other organizations to move this forward, and to encourage other nurses and sexual assault nurse examiners to, to, to speak and to share and to uh, encourage movement in motion simply by using their voice and their experience. So I think you've offered you know, a, a handful of great little takeaways um, that are, from an ED nurse's perspective, are, are very relevant mm -hmm. because it's sometimes it's just noticing that one little thing in your daily routine, not getting yeah. so caught up in the routine that you're you're not observing. Yeah. And you know, you've talked about this aha moment where the three of you were sitting there and couldn't believe that this thought hadn't come up sooner. So those yeah. moments are out there for everybody at every time. Yeah. It's yeah, like that's are. that that's pretty obvious. Um, this has been a, a, a sounds like a whirlwind for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, just the the work that's gone into this to make sure that this is uh, you know happening locally and and certainly responding to people who are are sharing their stories with you and and all the other things that have come with it, but also the attention that's come from it. Uh, you know, being featured in the Washington Post and things of that mm. nature. Um, how, how have you kind of kept you know things grounded and focused from your perspective on making sure that this special you know, a patient population is the forefront of all of this. Cause it, I, I could imagine that those people could get lost at times when you're talking yeah. about programming and you're talking about providing these types of things for them. But this is an issue that every ED faces and yeah. every patient population, every ED has this patient population. Yeah. So how do you wrap it back around and, and, you know, offer just that subtle reminder of what it, ma what matters most here is taking care of this patient to the best of your abilities. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, th that's always been easy. You know, this, this, this work is, ha has been, has been almost revolutionary for me. It has changed the way that I practice as an emergency department nurse. It has saved me from burnout. It has given me a gratitude that I thought I, I, I couldn't ever sort of get to. Um, and so for me, even with, even with all of the feedback coming in and the comments, and I've received literally hundreds of private Facebook messages from, from people about this, and I've responded to all of them. What keeps me grounded is actually my work with survivors. Um, it, it, when, they, when they show up to the ED and I happen to be there, or they show up at 10 o'clock at night and my phone rings and wakes me up, um, 
the question is, you know, can you take care of them? Will you take care of them? The answer is always yes. Because the, the moment that I walk through the door of my exam room and, and they're sitting there and they've, they've been so brave to take the step to walk through an emergency department door and say, I need help. That grounds me instantly. At that point, there's nothing else. There's just me and this this person that I'm going to take care of. That and that's been incredible, and that's been such a gift. And and no matter what else happens, and what other opportunities might show up, or whether the bubble bursts now and it you know it sort of fades away quietly, um, I always I always regrettably I always have them. It's really sad that I always have them, but I always do. And and the work itself grounds me. Um, and, and the support of, of my teammates in the ED, they're, they're, you have to be a really special person to be an emergency department nurse. You really do. Um, and, and that is a family. And that family has always supported me and always will. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. That's, that's just been incredible for me. Well, Martha Phillips, I don't know that there's much more or that you can say, or you could say it much better in, in, <laughs> with those perspectives right there, because there's um, no shortage of great stories like this that are coming out of EDs. and. Uh, the opportunity to share this one hopefully will uh, inspire others to want to talk a little bit more about the things that they're able to to do, um, and maybe their colleagues to talk to point out and, and highlight and feature the, the their colleagues that are doing great things. Um, that no, you know, I've learned in a couple of years now, ED nurses are <laughs> a, a bit of a modest bunch at times. Um, yeah. We're just doing our jobs, but certainly uh, the spotlight needs to shine every once in a while. So. I appreciate you taking some time to be a part of the ENA podcast today. Again, Martha Phillips, um, you know, your work on this uh, certainly has drawn a lot of attention. So we're glad we could bring it to our podcast audience as well. I'm, 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 I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk with you. I really appreciate that. And, and I'm grateful to reach out and, and talk to, uh, to all of my emergency department family across the country. It's, it's been a wonderful opportunity. Thank you so much. So that'll do it for uh, this episode of the ENA podcast. Again, a uh, thank you to Martha Phillips for uh, for being here to tell uh, her story. And uh, we look forward to bringing more stories like this to you throughout uh, the year on the podcast, as well as uh, our clinical takeaways and, and skill development type episodes. So we, we try to keep, it, uh, keep the variety going here. And uh, we appreciate you listening. And we look forward to you joining us next time on the ENA podcast. Take care.